Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Bobby Seals, Communications Executive at the Chartered Insurance Institute. In this episode, I'll be talking to Steve White and Shane Halfpenny-Ray. episode of the podcast we're talking about how the Brexit agreement has impacted the insurance and financial planning profession. We are joined by Steve White, CEO of BIBA, the British Insurance Brokers Association and Shane Halfpenny-Ray, Policy and Public Affairs Advisor at the CII and PFS. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here is our conversation with Steve and Shane. Hello, Steve, and hello, Shane. Thank you for joining us on CII Radio today. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Bobby. Great to have you both here. So, if we can start off with, how has the Brexit agreement impacted the insurance and financial planning profession? Shane, if I come to you first. Yeah, sure. So, I think um, it's important to separate uh, insurance and financial planning just for a specific reason, really, is that one of the key changes that, that I would mention is about EU passporting. And that's obviously where a firm's kind of authorised to, to work within the EU without having to establish a, a kind of a setup under EU regs. And that was kind of an, an agreed upon um, system underneath our, our membership of the European Union. That's now ended. We've formally ended that at the close of the transition period. And that means that firms are now required to be authorised in the EU to carry on providing services to EU27 customers. And obviously, some of those requirements may differ state to state, depending on the regulators of that member state, country and local authorities. The the difference, though, is that this is something that never really played a part uh, for financial planners because of the kind of quite onerous prudential requirements under the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive, so also known as MIFID, most advice firms have never had the right to passport into other EU markets, so the full range of investment products. And so Brexit will not have a a large impact on most UK advice firms. And so those few firms that did have the right to passport will have had time to set up separate authorised entities in the UK and the EU. And that's the key thing that insurance firms will have done anyway when planning for a no-deal scenario. And I think it's important to point out that, that despite there is some mention of financial services in the trade and cooperation agreement between the UK and the EU, this is not a, a bespoke deal that, that really kind of covers financial services extensively, and certainly not to the, the degree that the most want across the marketplace. Firms that, that have not set up separate authorised entities in the EU will also you know, have to focus on reviewing their approach. For instance, on the advice side, if they offer advice on investments managed by EU institutions and the EU does not offer UK advisors the right to passport under equivalence arrangements, advisors will have to obey the rules within the EU state in which they're giving advice as per with, with insurers as well. The advisors may be able to continue servicing clients who have investments within UK institutions providing the UK institutions institutions themselves are willing to deal with customers resident in the EU. Uh, And in addition, Brexit may change the tax status of some UK investments for people living in the EU. So firms will also have to review their advice process there. And then the the other kind of area that that I've mentioned is just around individual qualifications. There's no mutual recognition of professional qualifications with the EU as it stands. This is something that needs to be engaged with, but it's quite difficult because the way that the EU looks to qualifications 
obviously differs state to state, but generally speaking, most member states in the EU don't recognise professional qualifications from, from professional bodies. As it currently stands, most of them look to uh, other learning settings, such as universities, for technical qualifications. And so when professionals that are required professional qualifications or, or qualifications generally by employers in the EU or, or firms that are, that are chartered over in the EU, they then may require additional uh, engagement with the, the, the kind of the local regulator to see what requirements they have to approve regulated activities in that marketplace. And that will differ state to state. And there will be some more onerous requirements than others. So for as I say, a lot of this work will have been covered by firms who uh, were looking at the situation and, and predicting a, a kind of little to no deal on financial services anyway, but firms that have yet to look at that to see if it affects them. It's worth uh, reviewing you know, your, your activity in the EU to see if that, that kind of means you really. Okay, great. So obviously you touched a lot there on the impact of Brexit on insurance firms. Um, what new rules and restrictions are there that financial planners should be aware of? I think just to cover off some of the, those points I've made really is, um, you know, as I said before, potentially some some change in tax status for investments. And uh, as I say, for, for those that, that are kind of reliant on EU passporting, for them to just review what that new situation is. But, but across the board, the key thing is going to be uh, looking at what the requirements of that member state that you're working in. There'll be other kind of implications as well with the new kind of immigration systems we'll have now that freedom of movement ended. So if you're, you know, reliant on moving staff from, from one firm to the other, you know, UK to EU and back again, then that might be an implication that you need to review as well on, on what that will look like. I haven't seen the, the detailed uh, new immigration service that the government's kind of going to be rolling out this year and see if it's if it's changed somewhat from from previous white papers but the 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 very much it's a skills skills based service that, that they're planning to do a similar kind of rating system that, that Australia uses for its immigration policies so that's potentially if you're if you're a firm that moves um, staff around that that might be an implication to to think about as well and steve what new rules and restrictions should insurance brokers be aware of Probably there are no new rules as such, but there certainly are restrictions that insurance brokers need to be very, very mindful of. One of the key ones there is the ability or otherwise to deal with European customers. One of the complications of the insurance distribution directive is that it does not specify where does an activity take place. We are left with the remaining 27 EU states' own domestic legislative vehicles to make that determination. Now, clearly, from a European perspective, the, the, the dream is a single market. And so the European supervisory body, AOPA, that's the European Insurance and Occupational Pension Authority, have come up with a series of recommendations. Now, these are recommendations only. They don't have legal weight, but they do point national supervisors in a direction of, of travel. There are nine recommendations, eight of which are relevant to insurance companies. It's recommendation nine that is the relevant recommendation for insurance brokers with regards to accessing the European customers. And what this says, and I'm paraphrasing now, is that where an EU resident customer and an EU risk are together i.e. it's a European customer with a European risk, that has to be intermediated solely by EU-registered intermediaries. So to translate that into English, 
the way that we have been describing this to our members, and we use the holiday home example. So if you are a UK customer with an EU holiday home, because you are because we, there is not the risk and the customer in the EU, that is permissible to be intermediated by a UK intermediary. However, where you are an, a UK expat and you are resident in the EU, wishing to ensure your either your permanent home in the EU or, for example, your private medical insurance, you won't be able to do that from the UK because that needs to be EU intermediated. And the key thing that we're, we're stressing to our members here, it's not about nationality of the customer, it's about residence of the customer. Now, you can find much more information about that than I'm able to do on this podcast on the Bieber microsite, which is part of the main Bieber website. That's Bieber.org.com. UK. And for any members out here who are still struggling with that, pick up the phone or email me or my team and we'll happily have a conversation with you. Okay, great. And what can insurers and financial planners do to support their customers following the new rules? Steve, if I come to you first. Thank you, Bobby. I think the most important thing is to communicate. Insurers should be communicating with their distribution channels, whether it be directly with the customer or down the intermediated route. So clear communications about uh, what happens next, I think is extremely important. Okay, great. And Shane, have you got anything to add to that? I, I, I think Steve's, Steve's capped it really well there. Um, you know, it is, it is pretty much doing what you do now and just making sure that you're as, you're as open and, and clear with your customers and anyone, you know, throughout that, that link and that chain as, as you possibly can be. And as I said, many, many insurers, brokers, advisors will have prepared for the situation that we're in now anyway. So in essence, a lot of what's coming through shouldn't be a massive surprise. And I have spoken to some insurers um, and brokers recently that, you know, say that the effects on them hasn't hasn't been a massive impact because they were able to prepare. But I'm sure Steve can allude to any kind of gnawing issues that the brokers have. But as I say, just being open and, and communicating with customers is, is the key to, to pretty much everything, really. Okay, great. And there's been talk of, you know, an increase in offices opening in places like Brussels to ensure that trading can continue in Europe. Steve, what are the implications of Brexit for organisations that are based in Europe? Let's tackle this two ways, Bobby. Let's first of all talk about those firms that have that are European firms that are, are based in Europe. And the UK has always positioned itself as being open for business. So government put in place a temporary permissions regime for those European insurers and intermediaries that wanted to trade into the UK post-Brexit. As Shane rightly said, there's now no longer passporting, so new arrangements have had to come into effect. So the UK created a temporary permissions regime. So uh, if you're a customer dealing with a European broker or European insurer that's looking to trade into the UK, then you need to check with them to make sure that they have that temporary permission. If they've missed the boat and haven't got the temporary permission, they can still apply to the regulator here to trade here, but they can't actually undertake the activities until they get here. So that's the the first step in the process. That's for traditional European-based entities. What you alluded to quite rightly is that a number of firms have set up European entities um, and then created UK branches of the EU entities to allow them to carry on servicing customers back into the UK. And that, that again, is an interesting route. It's not just Brussels. There's plenty plenty of other places around Europe. Dublin being another popular 
landing spot for, for some of these. Okay, great. Thanks, Steve. And what is Bieber doing to support its members in the post-Brexit market? We've been heavily engaged with our members right from almost the start of the whole Brexit process, Bobby. We ran a series of regional seminars where we put the Bieber executive team and our lawyers in front of around 500 members through the course of those regional seminars. We have a Brexit microsite that looks at issues like access and data, staff, motor green cards and travel insurance. We put in place a solution with the worldwide broker network. If you're a small broker with a handful of European customers, you can't go about realistically setting yourself up as in Europe with a separate legal entity and then branching back into the UK. So we have an arrangement with the WBN, the worldwide broker network, where members on a case-by-case basis can speak to the WBN. They'll put them in touch with a, a worldwide broker network member in the relevant EU state where the customer is and the network member then takes over the handling of the insurances and a commercial arrangement can be struck between the WBN member and the UK broker. We've also given advice and guidance to to our members. We had a a huge amount of inquiry traffic from members in the run-up to the end end of last year. And our messaging to members has been very clear for the last couple of years in that We've recognised that the height of UK negotiating ambition during the Brexit discussions uh, with regards to financial services was around existing equivalence provisions. Now, there's no equivalence provision in the insurance distribution directive, and nor was there ever likely to be one. So the the way we have positioned this with members is a very clear message saying that whether we get a deal or no deal, whatever whatever is coming is a no use to us deal. And we push that no use to us deal message as far and as wide and as loud and as clear as we could possibly make it through all our communication and media channels just to make sure that it's, there's no misunderstanding as to as to what is coming. So, so that's in a nutshell what we have done. So it's been a high, very, very high priority with an awful lot of activity over the last uh, two or three years. Yeah, sounds like there's lots of great facilities and resources available there, Steve. Shane, what about the work of the CII and PFS in supporting our members? What are we doing? Yeah, so like Steve and Bieber, we've been engaging with our members since, you know, before, I suppose, the referendum, but, but certainly since afterwards, and the result was clear. We've tried to provide guidance as, as much as anyone can provide guidance in the, the confusion uh, and sometimes often frustrations that we've seen over the last five years now. And so, you know, at times we've been able to provide a better sense of what's coming down the pipeline than others. And as, as Steve says, that the, there's different implications for different people. So brokers, for instance, were always going to, to be at the sharper end of the stick because there are no kind of equivalence rules in the current agreements that we had under EU membership anyway. And so a lot of the work that they do would be on a no-deal footing. Similarly, advisors in, in most cases, as say, did not have passporting. So again, they were already in a way prepared for, for some of the kind of the features that the insurers would have. So in, in, a, in a sense, um, we've been able to kind of root out areas that, that would be changing for members uh, and in others just obviously just give guidance where guidance was was needed and there is there's plenty of resource across CII and PFS of, of that guidance we've done recent columns from Keith and others about what that means for advisors and insurers uh, in the GI market and uh, we, we're continuing to engage with uh, other bodies such as Bieber and the ABI as well as uh, London market representatives to see, I suppose, what what comes next. And actually, we had a catch up with um, the ABI, LMG, the IUA and InsureTech UK last week through 
the all-party parliamentary group for insurance and financial services, where we discuss some of those kind of post-Brexit priorities. Steve mentioned there the green card scheme that, that is a burning kind of question for people uh, around what the, the future for travelling in the EU is and whether they'll need a green card or not, or whether we'll be able to be put back into that authorised agreement with other EU member states, which requires us not to, to have that. And obviously that's a particular issue for, for hauliers going back and forth between the UK and the European continent. So there's lots that needs to be worked on still. I think I mentioned before that, you know, there is no financial services deal as it stands um, in, in to the extent that, that anyone wants, even on equivalence that, that obviously, as we said, doesn't reach everyone. And so there are priorities stacking up for us to engage with the European Union on those matters to try to get a bespoke deal for financial services. Um, there's an MOU that the government is keen to, to get signed um, by March, which would kind of set the framework for those discussions, particularly at a regulatory level, to build forums between the UK and the EU so that we can work on issues surrounding equivalence on solvency too, but, but other areas if possible, be they on the table but certainly to, to work out, you know, how we go forward and, and how we can continue to work together with our European cousins. The other resource that, that financial planners may find useful uh, as part of your membership of Personal Finance Society, um, you're also a member of the European Financial Planning Association. That is a collection of, of associations and bodies uh, across Europe that make up the, the kind of the final financial planning space. Um, we found it particularly useful on, on issues around qualifications, um, recognition, but also obviously on, on any kind of changes coming down the pipeline on rules and on authorisation. So that, again, is a resource for um, PFS members that, you know, if they are having any kind of difficulties, they can reach out to or look to um, as, a, as an information tool. And of course, you know, all, all the information that, that relates to that, they can also speak to the PFS about as well. Brilliant. And, and finally, are there any more changes on the horizon that will impact the profession in the months to come? So as, as I've said, this, I think that the case is that, the work that, that the people are doing, the CII, PFS and, and others are doing on making the case for these post-Brexit priorities. What do we want to see with our relationship? Are there ways to improve the relationship that, that we've now kind of inherited from this process to strengthen it? And also what are the implications of things that, that we're doing internally in the UK as well? So one big thing that's happening at the moment is governments reviewing the uh, financial services future regulatory framework. It's also reviewing Solvency 2. Um, and the implications thereof on the UK market, you know, for future generations now that we're outside of the European Union. So those changes are, are not only important for the UK, because obviously it looks to, to kind of set out how we expect to, to make our, our marketplace innovative and competitive now that, that we have left the EU. Um, how can we make sure we do that? But also the, the offside of that is if we're looking to equivalence, do we diverge too far and, and therefore put equivalence at jeopardy? Do we need equivalence uh, on all areas? And if some, some want equivalence, some um, are less bothered because it impacts them less. Um, if you don't trade with the EU, it doesn't, it's not a priority for you. There are obviously areas of financial services outside of insurance and, and 
financial advice that, that have no equivalence arrangements anyway uh, between the UK and EU, so they're less keen on equivalence anyway. So all of these things are kind of happening now or will be happening. And so they're, they're really important and obviously could change the direction of travel, the regulation in the UK goes, but also obviously our relationship with the EU. So really important for us to be engaged there but also for our members to, to stay engaged with, with this discussion. Unfortunately, as much as the, the Brexit saga of actually leaving the EU is over, the next step begins, and that means that, that really it's not over at all. Yep, lots more to come. Okay, great. Thank you, Stephen Shane, for speaking with us today on a topic which will be of great interest to our listeners. Thanks very much, Bobby. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. To find out more, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts or follow us on Twitter at CII Group. Until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio. 